Well, the hymn is number 280. Number 280. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And let's stand together as we sing, please. Number 280. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and some noisy folks out there. <laughs> Number 312. Be seated as you're uh, be seated as you're finished talking there. And turn to number 312. A little bitty short song that is very uh, very much part of what we usually use as a medley but it's a nice song. Jesus Your Name. Sing it together. Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is might. Jesus, your name will break everything. Jesus, your name is light. Jesus, your name is Jesus, your name. Jesus, your name is holy. Jesus, your name brings life. Jesus, your name of 
right across the page, right across the page, take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort you. You come on, precious day. Oh, how sweet hope of earth and joy. that you take care of us, and I just pray that you will bless this time of offering tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, tonight we have a special privilege here. Brother Ray, he's going to play guitar and sing a little bit. While he's sitting up there, let me tell you, if you're interested in going Tuesday night to Derby Dinner Theater, we have two spots opened up this afternoon. So we have two spots open for Tuesday night. Brother Ray, you're on, brother. Thank you. Well, um, surprise. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I played uh, guitar up in my old church in Northern Kentucky and just brought it out, just fiddling around tonight. So this is a song that, it's a third day song. I used to listen to them all the time. I know they're about to retire and quit, so I should probably too, but you know. Um, anyway, I'll just play it, see how it goes. I may mess up. Microphones make me nervous.
Thank you, Ray. Who here knew Ray played the guitar and sang? No one raised their hand, right? You're, a, you're, in the, you're in the choir in the summer, aren't you? A summertime choir member. So he really should. Uh, is David? Yeah, David, he should be in the choir. That is. Ray, that was, is this your first time to play here? Okay. <laughs> so here. So he, he has gigs at other places. So that's outstanding. Thank you, Ray. That is, uh, we have a video here we're going to show. This is our video for um, coming up with our Eliza Brodus uh, Kentucky Missions offering. All right. We just want to see if you can read lips. And how good of a lip reader you are and work on your skills at this. All right, that's enough. I'll tell you, that video there was telling you about next month. I'm going to give you all an update of some things going on. Next month is our focus. Um, our Kentucky Baptist Convention has a September offering. It's called the Eliza Brodus State Missions Offering. And our goal is $2,079. So if you're in your offering envelope package, you'll see on there it says... Eliza Brodus, and you're thinking, who is that? She's who WMU named their offering after. So that goes towards reaching um, our state for Christ. And that was a video there about one of the ways that uh, we give is through, um, obviously through the KBC, and they give, uh, give that out to Eliza Brodus. But it goes to, for example, school just started this past week at all the different um, universities, and if you go to the University of Kentucky, there's something called BCM. Well, that's funded through that offering. So they're able to do ministry to college students all throughout our state. So uh, that's a good, a good thing. I want to share some, uh, give you a schedule and sh share some administrative things here. Uh, always in the, towards the end of August, we always start looking for our new deacons. Um, being a deacon, men, is an honor. It's a biblical position, and we have a handout. Uh, right back here on the um, Welcome Center as you leave. Also, I believe Kevin Dye, they're here by the elevator. So this is the little letter. If you um, are interested or you know of a, a gentleman that you feel would be an outstanding deacon, you need to pick one of these up, read through it, see what the qualifications are, and uh, talk to them about it, and uh, let them give that name to Mr. Kevin Dye. Kevin, will you raise your hand so folks can see you back there in the corner? And um, that way, because... Uh, they, this person would start in January, but uh, as well as we'd meet with them about ordination and about the qualifications. So uh, being a deacon is an honor, and it's something that, um, uh, you know, as men growing up, there's something they should prayerfully strive towards. Next Sunday night, I'm going to give you the Sunday night schedule for the next four weeks, because y'all need to know it, because it's important. Next Sunday night is um, opening college football weekend. So we do not have a Sunday evening worship service. But that's not the real reason. The real reason why is because it is Labor Day weekend. 
So on Labor Day weekend, we don't have any evening services here. There's no Awana, uh, no youth group, no, um, no anything. So it's just our morning worship service. And the reason why is because a lot of folks are gone and have family in town, so uh, we don't have any evening services on um, Labor Day weekend. Two weeks from today, that is September 8th. No, the 9th. September 9th is two weeks from, t- uh, two weeks from today. David, we have a group, um, Donnie Miller. Do you remember his name of his group? Donnie Miller, he plays in a, he's got a new group, and they are coming to do a concert. So that's going to be on... S- Embrace with Grace. They are Two weeks from tonight, Embrace with Grace is having a concert here at 6 o'clock. So that's going to be the evening worship service. Fantastic group. He's been telling me about it. So we're going to have a big concert. Uh, you know, that'll be a regular night. Awana will be going on. So every um, uh, thing will be occurring. Now, three weeks from tonight is a very big night. If there's a Sunday night, you need to come to church. It's three weeks from tonight. You need to go ahead and put it on your calendar because I want to tell you what's going to go on. We're going to have, you know, have Awana and everything else going on. But at 6 o'clock, we're going to have a vision meeting slash town hall meeting. Now, what this will be a part of is we have a family ministry leadership team. They're going to make a presentation along with our strategic and long-range planning committee. That's chaired by um, Mr. Jack Smith. He will be sharing. And our stewardship committee is going to be sharing about finances um, with, with, from Jock Kennett. They're all going to be up here, including myself, and we're gonna, I'm going to parade some other people up here. We're going to have a PowerPoint presentation. We're going to have a lot of different folks uh, who's, that's going to be sharing. And here, there's two things you're going to be voting on. We've been working on this, really the direction of our church, and positioning Broadway Baptist Church to not just make it, but to thrive, uh, to be a vibrant church reaching Lexington for Christ. And here are the two things coming up a pipeline. You're going to, you come, that, now that, the night service, you're going to hear presentations, you'll have microphones, you can talk, ask and answer, have questions. Then we're going to go into business meeting, we're going to vote on these things. Number one, we're going to be um, voting on a new position. This new position will be called the Contemporary Worship Slash College Minister. Our two weakest areas of our church, or the areas that, I hate to say the word weakest, two opportunities for growth in our church would be a, we used to have an 815 contemporary worship service. Well, 815 is very early, so it didn't thrive like we wanted it to. So we are going to create a full-time position and vote on it and fund it now you will be hearing all about the job responsibilities, the job description. Uh, we don't have anybody for this because first we need to create the job. This is something brand new. This, um, this person will be um, responsible for leading our new coming contemporary worship service on Sunday morning because that's going to be the other thing we're going to vote on. And they're going to be leading our college ministry. After that song, Ray just told me he wanted to apply for the job. So that's why... So... <laughs> that's so. But um, what, what I want to tell you, I'll go ahead and tell you all the numbers. Uh, we're gonna, you're going to be voting on $120,000, and that's going to be for this person's salary, their benefits, relocation. You're going to have to pay for new musical instruments. You're going to ha- have to fund instrumentalist folks to play it. You say, Daniel, where are we going to get that kind of money at? <clears throat> we're going to get what we plan on doing 
And this is what Jock's going to be talking about. We're going to pull it out. We have a, God has blessed our church generously with a reserve fund. We're going to fund this through the, uh, until we hire the person. Again, we don't know who it is. So whenever he shows up, he'll be paid out of the reserve fund throughout maybe the end of this year, whenever we call him, then throughout 2019. Then in 2020, as our offerings pick up and grow, our church grows, it will incorporate this position into the 2020 budget. So that first year, and maybe possibly a few months of this year, 2019 and into this year, it will be funded with our reserves. This is an area of our church that has great opportunities. Say, Daniel, what is this contemporary worship service you're talking about? Well, that's the next thing you'll be voting on that night. This is on September, the Sunday night service, September 16th. We plan to start a 9 o'clock, and our church ministries council unanimously this past Wednesday voted for all of this. A 9 a.m. celebration service. The celebration service is our organ, our piano, our choir, the orchestra we have. It would be very similar to the service we have right now at 1045. Mr. David Dell will be leading that uh, service. It'd be a, a, a very um, it'd be a wonderful service. Um, and that's the type of service church I grew up in is, is, um, as well as same with Sherry. So uh, that service will end at 9.55. That service won't have a lot of flops, so we won't have videos and uh, dan- you know, hoopla going on. It will be, an, I don't want to say express service, but if you're a time-conscious person, person, that 9 o'clock service, we're going to stick to the schedule for that because it's going to have to end at 9.55. Then at 10 o'clock, we have Sunday school. Sunday school's an hour. It ends at 11 o'clock. Then at 11.09. 11.09. Say, why nine, Daniel? Well, Sherry said that's a cool number, so she thinks that's cool. Plus, it gives you nine minutes to to leave Sunday school and walk into the sanctuary. We'll start the new 11.09 contemporary worship service. Now, there's nothing after that, sir, so it just keeps on going. So if you're... If you have a lot to do and you're busy, you need to go to the early service. So we're going to be talking about this in three weeks. You're going to hear a presentation, and we're going to be voting on this. 9, 10, 11, 9. Now, when will you say, Dan, when will this start? It will start after, because we have to, first of all, we have to find the guy. He has to build a praise band, a praise team. So you're looking at sometime in 2019 to all this. It's going to take some time, but... That's the trajectory we're on right now. I'm excited about this. I think this is a rebranding of our church. It's something, uh, you might say, Daniel, what about donuts? We'll still have donuts at 8.30, and you have donuts all, you know, after Sunday school's over, you eat donuts, so that will all be still the same. Nothing will change with Sunday school. Still be the same Sunday school uh, classes. The only thing difference is the time. Say, why are we doing this? We are doing this because we want to position our church to reach all ages. We want students who did not grow up in church, the University of Kentucky, we want them to consider coming to Broadway and say, hey, there's a place for me here. We're a welcome wagon church. So what type of music you like, if you want Ray and his cut-off jeans or you want David Dell in the choir, we've got something for you here at Broadway. It's a church that's a multi-generational church that's m- reaching millennials and all types of families. So that is going to be the Sunday night service on September 16th. 
if you're a member of this church, we want this place packed that night. I want you to vote yes. I want you to come with your questions. It's something, I want you to get fired up and invite your friends to be there. It's something to create buy-in. Uh, there's no reason our church shouldn't grow. No reason whatsoever. And we have to have an attitude. We're going to do whatever it takes to position our church to reach folks. All right, so that's the next three weeks. Then I guess on the, what would that be, the 23rd, we'll be back in the book of Luke. So we'll, uh, we'll pick up. Anyway, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. We are preaching on here the most famous parable. Now, Sherry saw that in the bulletin, and she said, Now, Dean, how can you verify that's the most famous parable in the Bible? Have you surveyed every single Christian that's ever lived and asked them what the most famous parable is? This is the parable. No, I haven't, but this is one that many folks know. It's important because this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Unfortunately, this parable, the, the purpose behind it is missed. We're in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This parable I'm about to preach sermon on, this is important because what happens to folks is politicians take it out of context. Uh, you, can, you can make anything you want out of this parable. You can justify want, but what this parable is about really is about one thing, and it's that first question that's asked right here. Eternal life. How do I have eternal life? How is someone saved? That's the foundation of what this parable is right here. So don't you follow along your Bible. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Then an expert in the law. As we read this, I'm going to explain, and then I'm going to tell you some biblical principles about this. Expert in the law, that means this gentleman here is an attorney. He's an expert in the law. He stood up to test Jesus. So right there, that means this is a fake question. That means that is not the problem. This is, this is a test to try to trip Jesus up. The guy isn't genuinely wondering about his salvation. He's not thinking, you know what, I want to get saved, Jesus. He's thinking, us Pharisees, we don't like Jesus. And he's stumping us, and he's putting us to shame over and over again. So we're, I'm the attorney, I went to law school, I passed the bar, I have the degree. Who does this man, this carpenter from Galilee, think he is? I'm going to show him who's smarter. So this, so this is the test. He says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's an important question because this is a question every single human on earth at some point has to answer. That's why I believe this is the most important parable because this is the, this is the, the question that we're all answering. What do I have to do to be saved? If I want to live forever in eternity with the Lord... What do I need to do? Now look what Jesus says here. Verse 26. What is written in the law? Now it's interesting. Why did Jesus turn to the law? Because he's talking to a lawyer. So he realizes I'm talking to a smart man right here who loves studying the law. So I'll play his game on his terms. What's written in your law here? How do you read it? That's how all attorneys are. You can always read the law how you want to read it. So Jesus is even saying, tell me how you read your law. So this guy's pretty smart. 
he's able to quote a couple of scriptures. He quotes Deuteronomy 6.5 in Leviticus 19.18. Deuteronomy 6.5 is what we know as the Shema. That is what all Jewish folks had to memorize. They literally had to bind it on their head or on their arm. It was something that they uh, just that was ingrained in who they are. Even as children, they memorized this. And verse 27 says, He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. <clears throat> and love your neighbor as yourself. That is, that, that's the standard answer. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandments were, he quoted Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. Love God, love others. There you have it. If you are a Jewish person, that, that is the standard for eternal life. The great answer this attorney gave. Verse 28. Jesus said, You've answered correctly. Ding, ding, you won. He told him, Do this and you will live. The problem with that is, Jesus just said, hey, you read it right. You go love God and you love your neighbor and you will live. The problem with that is, that's perfection. No one can live to that standard. No one's able to live up to this standard here Jesus is talking about. Only Christ could actually love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> so, um, this most important question ever asked is then about to have involved the most important parable. And here's, what, here's how it started. Verse 29, this is really where the story starts. But wanting to justify himself, this is the attorney, he realizes, okay, that, that wasn't much of a test. Jesus just turned the tables on the attorney and says, yeah, you just, you just go out, Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18, and, and you're going to be saved. Well, that's just the standard. That's not a flashy answer. It's just, we all knew that. But he wanted more, meaning he sensed this isn't enough. So he's saying here, Wanting to justify him, he asked himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now notice, he didn't start with the one in the Shema, the Deuteronomy 6.5 verse. He picked up on the Leviticus 19.18 verse. The most important commandment is to love God. Well, we know who God is. We know what it means to love God. But then we get down to our neighbor. Love your neighbor. So, who's my neighbor? So, verse 30, Jesus took up the question, and he's going to tell a parable here. Jesus took up the question and said, Now remember, the purpose of this parable is ultimately to answer, how do I inherit eternal life? It's not just, we're here to define a parable, the parable's answering your question of who your neighbor is, which is then answering the question of, okay, love your neighbor. That's answering the question of eternal life. So 
what Jesus is about to do in this parable is he's about to show to this lawyer that you are not going to inherit eternal life because you do not love your neighbor. You have sin in your heart. You have hatred built up towards others, and you're, you're, not, you're not saved. So the whole, remember, the whole answer where we're going is how is someone saved? And Jesus is going to show to this man that you, in fact, Mr. Lawyer, you are not saved. This is, this is, this is not necessarily about racism. This is a parable about, is there anything within me that is preventing me from, number one, loving God and loving my neighbor? Is there something else in my heart, deep inside, that is preventing me from being saved? Is there sin inside of this attorney? And Jesus is about to show him that there is. This man hated Samaritans. That's what it's about. Now, you say, okay, that's about racism, but it might, it might be today. It might be someone loves pornography. It might be someone loves cheating and gambling. Whatever it is, Jesus is trying to bring about, saying, hey, there is something in your life that is wrong and immoral and unholy to God, and therefore you will not inherit eternal life. Because he's twisting, Jesus, the master storyteller, he's pointing out to this, this uh, teacher expert in the law, he's saying, brother, you don't have eternal life. It's, the problem's you. <clears throat> Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That Jerusalem's about 2,700 feet elevation. He's going anywhere from Jerusalem, you're going down. Jericho, one of the oldest cities in the world, has a negative elevation. It's not as far deep as negative as the Dead Sea, but it's like minus 800 feet. So they're going down to Jericho. And he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. So that means this man is badly wounded. He's struggling. He's fighting for his life. Now, we have to remember, too, this is a story. So it really didn't happen. It's illustrating something deeper. It's illustrating to the man that you're not saved. You have sin in your life. And until you confess it, you're, you, don't, you don't have eternal life. So let's see what happens here with this half-man dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now a priest, this is the descendant of Aaron. They are not to touch anything unclean. So he might see this man and think, well, this is a half-dead man. We don't ever want to touch. We don't want to be like Samson and touch an unclean person, a corpse here. So we'll just pass by, maybe say a prayer, feel sorry for him, and keep on going. So, the, uh, uh, 
you know, we just had to, didn't want to, didn't want to inconvenience ourselves. We had something else. I mean, he might have been leaving church, whatever we could think of the stories. The point is, a priest did not want to bother this half-dead man. So let's see our next contestant here. Verse 32. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, a Levite, a Levite, he's a junior priest. This would be someone who's a descendant of Levi. He's not quite to the level of a priest who's a descendant of Aaron, but he does the, he does the junior duties in the temple. He's helping out. You know, he wants to, you know, to uh, be a good guy, but he's not quite at the level of being a priest. But he's still a holy man. So, okay, he sees the same guy. He doesn't want to become impure, so he goes the other side of the road and realizes this isn't for me. So we have to think at this point, okay, the attorney and all the people listening to Jesus tell this story, who could be the one who's going to help them? They are probably going to think a Pharisee. That's what they're waiting to see. Or a teacher of the law. Someone like they are. Because a Pharisee was not a priest or a Levi, Levite, so they could touch a half-dead man or something unclean because they aren't... Um, they aren't running the temple. They're just experts in the law. They're attorneys. I really believe this teacher in law was waiting to hear his name. It's like he's saying, this story is about me. I am qualified. I have the financial resources. I am the one who has the pure blood in my, blo in my body to help this man. There's a sense of pride that Jesus is tapping into. Where this, remember, this is a test. This expert in the law, he felt to begin with, he's better than Jesus to start with. Jesus, what do you have to teach me? I mean, think about it. We have everyone beat. <clears throat> you live in the South, you're in a Bible believing church. You have a rich cultural heritage that maybe you grew up in church. You knew, know the Scriptures. You believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture. God has blessed you and your family and your career and your job. What could someone like Jesus teach you? There's a sense here with this teaching of the law. I'm a self-made man. I've arrived. I've made good decisions throughout my life. You know, Jesus, I'm just here to show you that you're actually the one who's unqualified. You're just a Galilean carpenter trying to teach me. Third person here, verse 33. And this was sad when they heard this word. I want to tell you who the Samaritans were. Sherry and I have four children, and let's say we live in Israel. And we can trace our heritage back to the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel, which is not possible today, but let's just say we could. We are pure-blooded Jewish folks. We come from a lineage of Abraham. And all of a sudden, Daniel Jr., he decided, he goes off to college, and I want him to marry, Sherry, I want him to marry a nice Jewish woman who also has great uh, a great bloodline that can trace her 
lineage also back to Abraham. So we've got pure Jews marrying and having intercourse with other pure Jews. So the race, the pure bloodline continues on. That's what Jewish folks wanted back then. Well, they won't, a lot of them want it today. So a Samaritan, Samaria, were someone from what we call the northern kingdom. The problem with those northern kingdom folks, you had Judah, and then you had and then the tribe of Benjamin, then you had the northern kingdoms. They fell first, and Judah continued on. If you go back and study your Old Testament history, they eventually both collapsed. But the people in Samaria, in the northern kingdom, they began having relations and marrying people who were not Jews. So if Daniel goes off to college, and we lived in Israel, he goes up to Samaria University, which we wouldn't want to send him to anyway, because he might meet us, somebody who's not pure. And he marries, say, a Canaanite, or he marries a Philistine, or even he marries somebody who isn't, maybe they're just half or one-fourth Jew, and he marries them, and they're not pure. We're very unhappy with him, because he's now contaminated our race. We call those people half-breeds because they're not pure-breaded uh, pure Jewish folks. So we refer to them, those northern folks, as the Samaritans. We just don't like them. In fact, when folks in Israel were traveling, they would actually pass around Samaria because you just it's unclean. Those people don't worship like we do. We don't want to deal with those folks. Even though that's still part of Israel, that's where the mixed-breed, mixed-bred people live. So all of a sudden, look at this story here. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion right there. He didn't, he didn't walk on the other side. He walked straight up to this guy. And he felt sorry for him. So there's compassion in this guy. Because the priest and the Levite, they, have no, they had no compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on olive oil and wine. Now, this would have cost him some money. He's using his resources at this point. Then he put him on his own animal. Brought, he didn't call a taxi. He put him in his own car, put him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So he's going out of his way to care for this man. And we're going we're gonna to take this man, put him in a, a hotel, and we're going to make sure he's okay. The next day, not only that, he kept taking care of him. The next day, so apparently he spent the night with him. Or stayed nearby. The next day, he took out two denarii. That's, one, that's two days' wages right there. That would have been plenty and more than enough to pay for this. And he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spent. You know, that's great. He, he said, I'm going to pay for a couple of days, but I've got some business i got to take care of, and I'll be passing by. And hey, if he made some phone calls or used the Internet, or you know, if he just went and had a great time at some expensive restaurants, it's okay. I'm going to pay for anything he needs. He's got an unlimited time. The leash can just keep on going. So we're seeing this Samaritan, the man we hate, just gave a green light to this half-dead man to afford and buy anything you want, whatever extra he spent. 
The problem with this is, remember, we hate Samaritans. They aren't, real, they aren't the real race. They don't even belong in Israel, and they need to, they need to go back to wherever they need to go to because they need to leave this place. That's the attitude towards these folks. And the problem with this expert in the law was instead of viewing the Samaritans as these are people whom God has created in His image, God has made to worship Him, who Jesus is going on the cross. And by the way, Jesus went to Samaria and did ministry there and performed miracles there. Instead of viewing that, they looked at these folks and said, we don't even want to go in their country. We don't like them. They hated this pure racism. They hated them because they weren't pure Jews. Now here's where we see the, the, we see the problem of this young man, this teacher in the law. Jesus asks a question, verse 38. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Who was the neighbor? Was it the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? Verse 37, here it is. Now, re- now remember, the, the test is supposed to be on Jesus. And we're asking the question to this attorney, the one who showed mercy to him, he said. Do you know what's sad about that answer? They hated the Samaritans so much, Broadway, they couldn't even say the name Samaritan. They didn't want to say it. They said, well, I guess that, I guess that guy who, who showed mercy, I guess that was his neighbor. Then Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You go out and do the same. You go and you identify people who are hurting, and you go care for them. Now, the story about this is, remember, this can be twisted, this, this story all the time, and be, and be shared talking about how we need to take care of the homeless, how we need to care for everybody in the world, and do social, uh, social gospel, social justice. But that's not the, the point here. Remember, the point is what must I do to inherit eternal life. The problem with this story the main person who was getting offended was the expert in the law, the, the lawyer. He wanted to know how to be saved, and he hated Samaritans. And Jesus was pointing out in your heart, you hate this people so much, you don't consider them your, your neighbor, you can't even say their name, your heart sank when I got to that person, because you thought I was going to say the expert in the law or the Pharisees. Jesus is pointing out to this man, saying, expert in law, Mr. Attorney, the problem's not other people. The test isn't on me. The problem's you. You cannot be saved if you have a prejudiced, hateful heart. You cannot be saved. You cannot hold on to Jesus and say, there's this people out throughout the world who's created in the image of God, who Jesus went to the cross for, whom He died, who He loves. And Lord, I hate them deep in my heart. They're, they're not like me. Jesus is saying, the problem is you don't have the type of love. You're claiming you love God, but you hate your neighbor. 
The whole book of 1 John talks about this. How on earth can you say you love God, yet you hate your neighbor? How can you praise God's name, come into a worship service, and say, Lord, I love you. You are my rock, my salvation. When you are cussing out people and making incredibly immoral statements about it. It might not be a racial thing. It could be a sexual thing. It could be something an immoral. You just take, take anyone who's created. It might be an immigration issue. Whatever it be. Someone who's created the image of God. You've taken and you've made them less than what God has made them. That's the, that's the point of the story. Jesus just told this man that I've exposed your heart. Sir, you're not saved until you look at your own heart and you repent of your sin. Only then and then, at that point, can you come to the Lord. The lawyer did not have eternal life. He was able to quote his Bible. He knew his Old Testament. But he didn't know what it meant to have a love for the Lord and a love for others. He can, he can quote about... Listen, you can talk about all you want. You can quote Scripture about love. But this man did not love his neighbor. So therefore, he did not have eternal life. Next story here. Last one we're going to see. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. This wraps up the entire chapter here of Luke chapter 10. This is about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha are two ladies, two sisters. They are, were the sisters of Lazarus, whom Jesus would raise from the dead in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha are many ways like folks today. Back in Bible times, they had, if, if, if someone were to show up at your house, you would be very uh, hospitable to them and fix them a meal, provide them with uh, whatever they need, take good care of them. There was, you, there was a sense of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take good care of my guests who come here. Make sure the house is clean, make sure everything is cooked and we're ready to go. And these are sisters, so that means they don't get along. <clears throat> he was, I'm sorry, while he was traveling, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. So Jesus came into the, their home, and they, you know, probably Lazarus is there. He's probably, you know, he hasn't been raised from the dead at this point, so. It's not just Jesus is alone with these two women. You, we've got, there's some other folks there. It, there. Probably what it was like, it's, there's probably several men that were sitting around the living room with Jesus, and they were talking. And the women were supposed to be back in the kitchen cooking and getting the food ready. Well, this one renegade lady named Mary, she thought, I need feud going on. She's become bitter and mad. I, what is, Martha didn't want to be back there. Everyone wanted to be at Jesus' feet. But Mary didn't say, hey Martha, why don't, we why don't we alternate? I'll do 10 minutes, you do 10 minutes. She just said, Martha, you do it all. She wanted to hear Jesus, but there were urgent things that took priority. I want you to know, a lot of folks, you come to church, but if you're not careful, you'll miss church. I want to tell you, too, I came from a church that had two services. Two services is a blessing. I want to tell you why. Some of you serve in the nursery all the time. You're the, over there. You're in children's church. You're in praise factory. You're running around doing security. and All this stuff is necessary. And then you miss it. 
I mean, you were here, but you weren't here. You're in the sound booth. I mean, you can be all over the place, but you're not here. You're not here saying, God, speak to me in these pews. I'll tell you, two services, you say, I'm going to come at 9 o'clock. I'm going to worship, and I'm going to grow. I'll go to Sunday school, and then this new 1109 service, I'll go help the nursery for that. I'll go serve and do parking or security or children's church. You can still actually come to church and serve. Now, you're here all day, all morning, more, but it's an opportunity that you're not constantly missing church. If you miss more Sundays, if you're missing more Sundays because you're serving, then you're actually here. Something's wrong. Say four Sundays in a month, you're serving three of them, and you're actually in church one. You don't know what's going on. You're not experiencing worship. You're not here. Yes, you're serving, but you're missing what, uh, the blessings of the Lord. That's Martha. Martha was missing it, and she recognized it. She is becoming sour. Urgent things take priority to her. Look what Jesus says. The Lord answered her. This was not what Martha was expecting. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. Basically, Jesus says, calm down, sweetheart. we got to relax. Time out. We don't need to get out. We don't need this party getting out of hand here. I'm just here to teach the Bible. Look, if we miss a meal, it's okay. If supper's not on the table at the right time, fine. That's, we're just going to make it. I'd rather be late and allow you to hear the Scriptures than have a meal and folks miss it. He said to her, you're upset, but one thing is necessary. One thing. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken away from her. Do you know why it won't be taken away from her? Because, <clears throat> listen, watching TV on Facebook or church on Facebook, watching it on YouTube, watching it on the TV at home, that's great. But that is not the same as being in the Lord's house in the presence with God's people. It's not. And what happens is, say Sherry's in the nursery serving, or she's in children's church, and, and I'm here, and I get in the car and say, Sherry, we had a great worship service. Man, I felt the power of God. And she says, Daniel, I changed diapers. It was great. We helped the little kitties down there. And she said, I'll go watch it online. But it's not the same. That, she will ne that is a missed opportunity. She'll never have that again. Martha will never again get Jesus into her home. Mary recognized, Jesus is here at my house. I'm going to sit at his feet and listen and learn. Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the grave, is also there. I want you to know, if you, are, if you live with someone or you know someone who's serving, serving, serving all the time at this church, you need to pull them aside and say, hey, listen, you need a break. Because, because people who serve all the time, don't miss this, people who constantly serve, they become sour. I promise you, they do. They go off the deep end. They get bitter. Servers go to sour soakers. 
And they just, they, they get, because they're not here. Watching it on TV, catching the talk in the hallway is not the same. Secondhand information doesn't happen. It's, and what you have to guard is you have to say, Jesus wants you to enjoy His presence. Jesus wants you to come in fellowship with Him. And if you're never here, if you never hear me teach or preach, you, I promise, will become a sour member of Broadway Baptist. It will happen. You have to guard your worship time. You have to guard your time with the Lord. Now, last thing I was going to say about this, we're going to have our invitation here. One of the neat things that happened is, this is in Luke chapter 10. This is the family of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. That's their, that's their brother. Later on down the road, we know this from John chapter 11, Lazarus died. Now, Lazarus just passed away. And Jesus, uh, they, he was alerted to this fact because he was friends with Lazarus. Why do you think Mary and Martha knew what Jesus could do? They were aware of what the Lord could do to Lazarus. Do you know why? Because Mary was sitting at his feet. Mary knew the power of the gospel. She knew the ability of the Lord because she was there. She heard the stories. She witnessed the teaching. She heard with her own ears, hey, here's the Christ, the Messiah, the, the living God is in my living room. He is the author of life. He can bring my, he can bring my dead brother back again. I want to tell you, if Mary and Martha... If they were both in that kitchen, serving away, there's a possibility Lazarus might not have been resurrected because they wouldn't have heard the opportunities that the Lord could do. What do we see in these passages tonight? We see the parable of the Good Samaritan. You need to examine your heart and say, God, is there anything in my life? Do I have any prejudices, any unconfessed sin, anything that could be preventing me from being saved? And some of you here, you need to say, am I a Martha? Have I become sour because all I do is serve? And I want to tell you, a church will run you into a ground serving. You will serve till you die at church. It just serve, serve, serve. Some people will never put the brakes on. This is something you have to monitor your spiritual life. Your spouse and your friends have to help you with this. If you are becoming a Martha, some of the best words you can ever say at a church is no. Now, you don't want to say that in a business meeting, but when someone's asking you to help serve, you can say no. I'd rather just go in church and learn, go to Sunday school and listen, and say, God, I'm here to grow and to learn. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray tonight as we have opened up your word to study Luke chapter 10. Lord, we will see in this parable the Good Samaritan. Lord, open our hearts, examine us and say, is there any sin in my life, any prejudice, any hatred, any immorality that's preventing me from knowing you? Lord, I also pray that there is probably folks here with a Martha attitude. They've become sour and bitter because all they do is serve and help and behind the scenes. Lord, raise us up an army of Marys, people who want to sit at the feet of Jesus and never miss an opportunity, never miss a prayer, never miss a service with you. Lord, we know our life is union with you, union with Christ. Well, God, I pray to this invitation. If there's anybody here that needs to boldly respond, 
Lord, I pray we do so. Lord, we have a public altar call. Will you call us publicly? We're like Mary, and we just want to sit at your feet and say, Lord, this is my house. I want to be a part of this church and what you're doing. Lord, we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Amen. David Dale's going to lead us in our song. We close every service, including our Sunday night service, with the invitation. I want to invite everyone to stand up. I'm going to be standing up front waiting for you to respond. We'll sing number 544, Have Thine Own Way. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after my While I am waiting, yield and still. Have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Thinner than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. Thank you so much. We will be back here Wednesday night. We have dinner at 530 so I think we're having a barbecue sandwiches uh, this coming uh, Wednesday night. And then we have Bible study. We're going to finish up the book of, uh, of Judges this coming uh, Wednesday night. So I invite you. It's up here at 630. So that's our, uh, that's our next event coming up. We have a closing song. We're going to sing just a chorus of Redeemed. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. Redeem his child and forever I am.